When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. President Joe Biden making remarks in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, unveiling a $2.25 trillion infrastructure proposal. He called on Congress. He called on the business community. He called on small businesses, union workers, to partake in a coalition in order to what he described is make an investment in the future of the United States of America. He promised not to raise taxes on Americans earning less than $400,000 annually, at one point promising that their taxes would not be increased. He did say that certain companies and corporations he would like to see pay a little bit more in taxes in order to fund for a sweeping significant change that he compared to developments of NASA's space program decades ago. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm accompanied by my colleague, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Jeannie Shanzano. Jeannie, I want to bring you in here and, and your, your analysis from uh, the president's remarks. I thought it was one of the best speeches I've heard the president make. Um, you know, obviously, he's only been in a little over 60 days, but he was very, very clear about the dangers of not making this investment. And I think that's what struck me the most. He said, we fail to do this. We will add to the debt. We will become non-competitive with places like China, and we will be increasingly vulnerable to our allies, or to, sorry, to our adversaries, not our allies. And he talked about this as a fight in the context of this fight that he keeps talking about between autocracy and democracy. And to me, what really stood out where he said, the question now is, can democracies still deliver for the majority of the people? He is saying that if we fail to invest in infrastructure in the way he's laid out or in some massive way, we democracies will go down a path of being unable to deliver for their people. And so to me, it was this rhetoric that um, I think people on particularly on the Democratic side have understood that Biden was going to use. And I thought he made his his case uh, resoundingly. Of course, I also don't feel that he is going to get the Republican support he's he's seeking. Well, <laughs> There's that. We're going to we're going to talk about the dynamics and the politics of this. But in terms of laying out a blueprint, a roadmap, Biden's uh, one belt, one road initiative, so to speak. Anna Edgerton, my colleague, is also with us. She, of course, is a Bloomberg politics editor. Uh, and, and Anna, uh, you have a deep deep coverage history in terms of covering Congress. But let's start with the nuts and bolts of this particular plan, which is including $620 billion for transportation and $650 billion for initiatives such as cleaner water and high-speed broadband. The plan would also allocate 
$580 billion to American manufacturing, which would include $180 billion for the biggest non-defense research and development program on record and $400 billion toward toward care for the elderly and disabled. Anna, uh, this is just an extensive, extensive list in terms of the investment that the Biden administration is, is seeking for. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they package it to get it through Congress. You know, what we've heard from congressional leadership is that they're probably going to try to break this up into a few different bills. And part of that is just the strategy on what votes they need on which parts. It's going to be really hard, like you said, to get Republican votes uh, on some of this. So, you know, part of this can go through the budget process known as reconciliation, which if all Democrats stick together, they wouldn't need Republican votes. So, you know, it's going to be kind of a push and pull between the policy and the politics to, to figure out how to get as much of this passed through both chambers of Congress and signed into law as possible. It's time to build our economy from the middle out. And he said, President Biden said, and he said that his plan rewards work, not just wealth. I was struck by this, Jeannie. You alluded to this. This was a domestic policy speech. This was a speech for the middle class. This was a speech for populists. This was a speech for union workers. But in addition to that, this was not just a pitch to get a plan through. This was also an address to the to the world in terms of the direction that the Biden administration feels the country should be headed in over the next decade. Yes, and and he made the case that our adversaries are concerned. They are worried about this investment. They don't want us to invest, he says, in this way, because that will make us more competitive at the same time over the last, he claims, several decades as they have been gaining ground on us. You know, another thing I was really struck by is his comments, and and, um, you and Anna know this much better than I do, but about how far down we have have come in terms of our investment in research and development, and his, his focus on that as it pertains to things like computer chips, clean energy, battery technology, right? These are things, you know, we have investment that's, uh, you know, been defense related. But as far as R&D that's non-defense related, we have fallen way behind, as the president said. And he hopes with this bill to try to rectify that situation, which would address some of the competitive issues we're well, facing. Well, I think I think that, you know, let's let's first just keep with with what he's calling for and the geopolitics of this. And coming up, folks, we'll talk about the politics. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It wasn't lost on me, by the way, that Biden inadvertently referred to him as the majority leader during his speech and then corrected himself. But Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said Wednesday, quote, it's like a Trojan horse that's called infrastructure. But inside the Trojan horse is going to be more borrowed money and massive tax increase on all the productive parts of our economies it's uh it's it's so there you have how the republicans are going to be greeting this but from a geopolitical standpoint anna edgerton my colleague here at bloomberg just from a geopolitical standpoint that genie alluded to uh this was again a a a, a foundation a blueprint a roadmap uh for again the direction that the united states Uh, ought to be headed in, pitched by the president, but one that components of this has wide bipartisan appeal, especially when it comes to diversifying supply chains uh, around the world, right? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. um, Biden hasn't given a joint address to Congress yet, you know, and this struck me as very much a kind of State of the Union type speech. Um, You know, part of that is the pandemic. Part of it was 
the second impeachment trial of former President Trump. But, you know, Biden hasn't had his moment before both chambers of Congress. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if he, if he gets around to that and what that looks like. But this is kind of, you know, his style appealing directly to the American people. And his administration has said that when they say they want unity and when they say they want bipartisanship, they're not necessarily talking about congressional Republicans. They're really appealing to Americans of all stripes, you know, even Americans who voted for President Trump saying, you know, this is what our country needs to move forward. Join us on this. Pressure your representatives in Congress to get on board. And that's kind of part of the part of the appeal and part of the pitch is to um, make the case directly to the American people. Uh, let's let's say let's stay a, a little bit more political than as we get here. And, and I'm going to be candid, folks. I mean, I'm not going to play Senate parliamentarian here or or get too far into the weeds. But Jeannie and Anna know this better than anyone. So I'm going to over oversimplify. Today was an opening bid by President Biden. It's going to take until at least June to July for Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi to get some type of legislation through the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. Then you hit August recess, okay? So that's going to leave all the month of August and early fall for the Senate, for Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, and Mitch McConnell, top Republican, to talk about earmarks, to talk about their path forward. So in many ways, Jeannie Shanzano, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a marathon. And, you know, what I see happening to your point about this extended sort of calendar, we are only talking about the America's jobs plan. We also have a second component that he drops in about two weeks, the family plan. But if you are an interest, if you have an interest in this, if you are, say, on the Democratic side and you want your views reflected in this bill, you're going to be vying for this first bill, not the second one, because, of course, the idea that Biden could get through three huge trillion dollar bills, the COVID relief, the American jobs plan, and then the family plan, I think is a stretch. So I think while we focus a lot on will Republicans come in or won't they come in, I think the real fight is going to be on the Democratic side as liberals and progressives have already started to say this is too small, this isn't enough, and people have been vying to get their views in on this thing. So I think the real fight is going to be amongst Democrats, and that's where Biden is going to have to really hold that coalition together. What I love about the Bloomberg Sounds On uh, program is that we rip up the script. We're not doing the whole left versus right Uh, banter and back and forth. If you're trying to forecast what is actually going to get done, my three key takeaways. Number one, really these negotiations are going to begin in earnest in the early summer ahead of the August recess with additional uh, back and forth in, uh, in the fall. Number two, there is unison across the board, unison that on the U.S. competitiveness against China portion of this. You've got $50 billion earmarked for domestic semiconductor manufacturing that both Jeannie and Anna alluded to, $50 billion earmarked for the domestic semiconductor manufacturing. And then you've got $40 billion more dollars, $40 million, I'm sorry, $40 billion with a B, more bucks um, in allocated for upgrading research capacity in labs across the nation. That includes government labs, that includes research and development at the university level, and, and uh, also in the private sector. So right there is a hundred, nearly $100 billion, Anna, that has support from Republicans and Democrats. And that's what I think is so incredibly important. When Anna and and her colleagues like Eric Wasson and the Bloomberg Congress team talk about a piecemeal approach, 
which pieces are likely going to be flying to the president's desk, it's the earmarks for semiconductor manufacturing. It's the research and upgrading research capacity for labs uh, pertaining to uh, national security and diversification of supply chains. Right, Anna? I just want to keep it simple. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's it's going to be really important to follow not just kind of the ideological convergence on issues like opposing China, but also to see like how that makes it into legislative text. And that's going to determine whether or not it actually gets any Republican votes. Um, Now, I will say uh, to pick up on one thing you said earlier, it's not just progressives that are raising their hand and saying this isn't good enough for us. We also have a few skirmishes on the moderate side where you have uh, you know a few moderates like Joe Manchin and in the Senate, obviously a very important uh, Democratic senator from West Virginia, saying that he wants to pay for it. You know, he wants the tax increases to limit the deficit impact. Whereas you have some moderates in the House who are in swing districts who are going to be facing voters next year who are really wary about the tax increases because they don't know how they're going to defend this to voters who are coming out of a post-COVID economy. You know, Jeannie, I, I think that's so incredible. What Anna just laid out is so incredibly important, especially how how the bipartisan unifying portions of this plan, the fractions of which there is unison, ends up in legislative text. It candidly, all that does is 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 impact the clock that it ends up on on President Biden's desk. But uh, to your point, uh, the politics is going to be incredibly, incredibly volatile. But there's one thing that I'm gathering from President Biden's first 100 days is that he is forecasting to the world that the United States is not worrying about deficits. They're not worrying about inflation. They are in a position where they want to spend and the Americans want to spend big on double down on investments for the future. And he's he's not only not worried about it, he said failure to do this will raise the debt and deficit. And I'm curious to hear of the economists respond to this argument that they're making. And Democrats all along, you know, Bernie Sanders and others have been saying, we don't need to worry when it comes to infrastructure investment in terms of dollar by dollar matching in terms of what we spend, what we take in, because infrastructure itself, as they like to say, creates Mm. jobs. So it pays for itself. Again, something not all economists may agree with. But if we recall, Bernie Sanders was one who said, if infrastructure spending goes up, GDP and household incomes grow. So in other words, they're going to keep making this case. It pays for itself. And just to go back to what you and Anna were talking about, let's not forget there's also the salt no deal. You know, people yeah, saying, salt yeah, the salt. And and so people coming in and saying, we want this or we're not going to support it. So there's <laughs> going to be a lot of infighting. We're going to get to salt. I promise you that's on my to do. We're going to talk a state and local tax deduction coming up folks and also coming up please keep it right here we have an all-star uh panel for the hour former u.s secretary of transportation rodney slater partner at squire batten and box is going to join us just after the jump and, and we definitely want to hear what the former secretary of transportation has to say on this look you heard it i think our, our executive producer christine barada flagging for me the the transcript because it's fresh off of the microphone but president biden says this is a fundamental choice that has to be made between democracy and autocracy he's evoking china folks this is not just a union speech this is about china i'm kevin cerilli this is bloomberg
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1. To New York, Bloomberg 11.30. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by my colleague, Bloomberg Politics Contributor, Jeannie Shanzano. Jeannie, I just got a text from my friend, my mentor, Tom Keene. He goes, who do you have on the show tonight, Mike Schmidt? I said, no, I don't have Mike Schmidt on the on the on transportation day this you know he had Derek jeter on on surveillance earlier did you hear that did you see that I, I i'm incredibly jealous of that i must be honest you tom keen <laughs> i know so but here i go he's the best so you i know. said i said i got someone better than mike schmidt i got the former u.s secretary of transportation rodney slater's with me he of course prior to being appointed to the clinton cabinet between 1997 to 2001 he served as the administrator of the federal highway administration back in 93 to 97 so uh, an all-star okay secretary slater it's great to have you on on infrastructure day let's just get right to the to the quick hits your top line takeaway from uh president biden's transportation speech last hour well uh kevin i think well, first of all, let me say to you and your listeners, thanks for, for the opportunity to be on your show. But I thought the president was bold. I thought he was specific. Uh, clearly, I think we'll get more specifics as we go forward. Uh, and I thought he offered uh, a reasonable plan for paying for it. So I don't think he left uh, really any stone unturned. Uh, he also put it squarely in the lap of the Congress to, uh, as they say, when the president proposes, it's the Congress that disposes. So they've got to uh, collect themselves and, uh, frankly, meet the challenge that he's put forth to them. Secretary Luck, I mean, you know this. There's a lot of folks in the business community, not just big business, small business. They're worried about their taxes. They're worried that they're emerging from the post-pandemic economy. And now Democrats are talking about raising taxes, the corporate tax rate, profits on overseas from its current level of 13% to 21%, high net worth earners who earn more than $400,000 per household or per individual in a household annually, the details of which are still we're still trying to gather that their taxes are going to go up. So what do you say to folks across the country who are looking at this and, and they're saying, yeah, we need our roads and bridges repaired and digital infrastructure better, but hey, we don't want to see our taxes go up. Well, for those um, and the great majority of Americans who make less than $400,000, they will not see uh, a tax increase. The president made that clear. He actually started uh, his uh, presentation with that uh, particular point. Uh, and for businesses, I mean, businesses know more than most how important a transportation system is. Uh, they know that you have to have a quality supply chain to get your products from wherever they're produced to the markets where they're to be enjoyed. And uh, the U.S. economy is one of the strongest in the world, but we serve markets around the world. Uh, we've got the best workers in the world, but we have to have access to markets around the world, and that's why we need a very important um, and strong and, and, and vital, and in the future, a resilient, sustainable, and equitable uh, transportation system. And there are also national security implications here as well. We can get into that, but I think for businesses, knowing how important a transportation system is, 
it is the business that helps business do business. Uh, it's critical to our national economy. Let's talk about national security. Let's just, let's just go right there. Uh, elaborate on that, because whether it's diversification of the global supply chain or the 50 to $40 billion worth of allocated resources for semiconductor chip manufacturing, I mean, that's a that has bipartisan support in Washington, D.C. But go ahead. Uh, elaborate on that, please. Sure. Well, just look at the, the situation uh, the last uh, week or so in a location far, far from the U.S., the Suez Canal. Yes. And how, how just a tanker, uh, you know, I mean, a, a barge with all of these, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, supply uh, containers uh, was stuck and clogged up that major thoroughfare of commerce, costing countries billions upon billions of dollars daily. That's the importance of the transportation uh, system to our economy. When it comes to national security, we've always been a nation to uh, know and appreciate that. I remember when a young Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, was traveling across the breadth of the country, really doing a survey, making judgments about how the U.S. would deploy troops if it were attacked. Then he goes and serves as the head of the Allied Command uh, in, the, um, uh, in Europe uh, during the war, uh, he sees how the Audubon uh, really uh, services uh, the economy of uh, and the security of Germany, brings that uh, vision back, takes an old idea that was put forth during the Roosevelt administration and comes forth with the uh, national defense highway system, and that's the interstate system that we know uh, today. So there's always been this recognition of the importance of uh, security as it relates to uh, transportation. And that's something that um, it, it only intensifies as we go forward. But, you know, I think it's important for us, Kevin, to mention that the president in talking about uh, infrastructure really goes way beyond uh, just transportation. He's talking about broadband. He's talking about 5G. He's talking about everything that is essential for us to compete and win as we bring into being this fourth industrial uh, revolution. And so I'm excited about electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, uh, drones. I'm excited about high-speed rail, maglev, uh, uh, you know, uh, transportation and high-speed services that can get you, say, from Washington, D.C. to New York in less than an hour with stops. I mean, that's the kind of vision that he was painting. It's a generational opportunity. He has said that, and his Secretary of Transportation, Pete uh, Buttigieg, has said the same. And I'm excited, by the way, about the leadership of Secretary uh, Pete. Secretary Slater, it's good to talk to you. Um, the president, I think, uh, you know, it, this was really a historic speech in my mind. Yeah. Um, and he talks about this fundamental choice between democracy and autocracy and well, ended yeah. with this question of whether democracies can still deliver for the people in all the ways that you and Kevin have been talking about. So if you had to advise uh, President Biden and one of your successors, Pete Buttigieg, how would you advise them to move this through Congress so that democracy can deliver for the people because that's really where the rubber is going to meet the road. Sorry to use a very bad transportation pun on you, Secretary. <laughs> but... No, I like that. I like that. I'm sorry. And, uh, uh, is it, uh, it's Jenny, right? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's Jeannie. 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 Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, Jeannie. Well, first professor of all, Zeno. Jeannie... She's an Iona College professor. I call her Professor oh. Zeno. I feel like I got to right. always be smart around Jeannie. Go ahead. <laughs> well, actually, she's sounding like a professor where she links all of this together. You know, he did talk about democracies as it relates to 
uh, autocracies and uh, yep. the the fight that is underway in that regard. And he made reference to the two-and-a-half-hour conversation he had with uh, President Xi Jinping of China. Mm. And also, uh, I remember the report after he had that meeting. It was him speaking extemporaneously, and he said, I made it clear that we're here to compete, that we're back, and we recognize that there is a competition underway, and we intend to win. And so I thought that was very, very powerful. Now, the the staff hurried in and said yes, and we also talked about human rights issues and all of the other things that we generally kick off when there is this engagement. But he made it clear that he dealt with the competitive and the philosophical engagement that's necessary to compete on that stage and to and to win. And he also, in his speech today, made it clear that Americans and really citizens across the globe are questioning whether democracies, because of the, the tension and the infighting and sometimes the partisanship, whether it can deliver for uh, its uh, people. And I think that's why he talks so much about his Relief Act, the $1.9 trillion measure that he had to move. Unfortunately, he had to to move without um, the support of Republicans. Uh, But he did offer the opportunity for them to participate. And so when he put $1.9 trillion forward, they came back with $600 billion. He said, no, that's not enough. If we're going to be serious, we're going to be serious. If we're not, then I'm going to move as I have to. I think in setting up the opportunity to move forward on the transportation bill, he's saying, look, let's, let's take a little more time. We got now a breaking news headline on the Bloomberg terminal about fi- I got to cut in here. Sorry. About 15 yeah. million Johnson and Johnson vaccine doses have been ruined by a U.S. factory mix up, according to the mm-hmm. New York Times. Again, a breaking news headline uh, on, uh, from the New York Times that about 15 million Johnson and Johnson vaccine doses have been ruined uh, by uh, a factory mix up and that uh the New York Times is reporting that. So we're going to carefully monitor uh, that story. Uh, but transportation and supply chains, I mean, right there off of that headline, uh, Secretary, former Transportation Secretary in the Clinton administration, Rodney Slater, who's with us, that just proves the importance of just how much this is a critical, critical uh, component on, on beyond just the way that we talk about transportation issues. Kevin, you're, you couldn't have stated it uh, more succinctly, and also, I think, very appropriate to break in on this conversation and to talk about uh, COVID. And as you know, the president made that his number one objective upon coming into office. Now that he's uh, addressed that, at least temporarily, he's moving on to the bigger agenda dealing with the economy. Uh, and yes, uh, even with COVID and the movement and the shipment of those um, important vaccines, uh, you've got many, many transportation uh, companies involved, from FedEx to UPS and the like. Uh, and it is very sensitive, the environment in which they have to be uh, contained as they're moved, the temperatures and things of that nature. So there again, transportation, very, very critical. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
We have only got the uh, former transportation secretary uh, just for a few minutes, but let's just dive into this new New York Times report that just crossed headlines crossing mm-hmm. the Bloomberg terminal. The headline Johnson and Johnson COVID-19 vaccine is delayed by a U.S. factory mix up. Sharon Lafreniere and Noah Weiland report in the Times, a manufacturer in Baltimore accidentally conflated the ingredients for two different coronavirus vaccines, officials say. Workers at a Baltimore plant manufacturing two coronavirus vaccines accidentally conflated the vaccine's ingredients several weeks ago, ruining about 15 million doses of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine and forcing regulators to delay authorization of the plant's production lines. The plant is run by Emergent Biosolutions, a manufacturing partner to both Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. Federal officials attributed the mistake to human error. The mix-up has halted future shipments of Johnson & Johnson doses in the United States while the Food and Drug Administration investigate. So again, just a major development uh, on the vaccination front as 15 million Johnson & Johnson vaccine doses have been ruined by a U.S. factory mix-up reports the New York Times. Just final word. I know you've got to run, uh, Secretary, but uh, just a final final word uh, as we devour President Biden's speech and now this um, the first, I would argue, major blemish uh, on uh, a rollout for executing the the vaccination, um, though the details of which are still just coming to light. Sure. Well, the one thing about it, not to make excuses, is that we were able to catch it. You want to do that yeah. and make corrections and get the right vaccines out. So uh, let's encourage, and I know you, you're, you're doing that. Let's of course. Let's identify and encourage them to deal with it. But going forward, let me just say, this is how I would sum up the announcement today. I think that the president gave voice to the fact that this is a generational opportunity. The last time we had an opportunity like this, frankly, was uh, during my tenure as secretary. We were shifting from a focus solely on the interstate system to all of the modes of transportation and how they work together. We had a wonderful piece of bipartisan legislation called the Intermodal Surface Transportation Efficiency Act. And since that time, we've been refining and enhancing that legislation. The objective now is to make another shift with a focus on resilience, sustainability, and equity. And time and time again, uh, the president talked about that uh, today. And, and, and look at the place that he unveiled all of this. Not only was the, it the place Pittsburgh. where he kicked off the campaign, but more importantly, Pittsburgh. This is an old steel town that you can look at today as a modernized city. It's got all of its forms of transportation working well. The airport is set to be uh, reconstructed and improved. Then you've got all of that uh, rail activity, the transit lines. You've got the great rivers and the stadiums in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, August Wilson, in talking through his wonderful stories, art, about Pittsburgh, he talks about it as a resilient, vibrant, alive city. And we see that uh, today. And I thought it was just wonderful for him to go to the Midwest, to the center, you know, to the, to the interior of the country, and talk about how all too often we're focused on the coast and we now need to really bring in well, uh, the interior of the country. My I, grew up, I grew up outside of Philly. I mean, I'm from oh, Delco, right. but I know Pennsylvania, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Pittsburgh is synonymous with grit, with determination, with, exactly. with hard work. Exactly. 
And I really want to thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, former Secretary, for uh, Rodney Slater for, for joining us. He is a partner at the Washington, D.C. law firm of Squire, Patton & Boggs, where he is the head of the transportation practice, and he works on projects related to the transportation infrastructure. Uh, uh, thank you very much if, if you're still with us. So Jeannie Shanzano, uh, candidly, you know, I mean, Tom Keene, it's no Derek Jeter, but... You know, he was one of the initial investors on the Washington Nationals. But what do I know? Right, Jeannie? That's, I was just going to say that. You know, Tom Keene's got nothing on you. You had one of the original owners of the Washington Nationals on. <laughs> I do want to come back to this story that we're carefully monitoring out of the New York Times. Again, this headline crossing the Bloomberg Terminal. Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine is delayed by a U.S. factory mix-up. Uh, this was something like four. About 15 million Johnson & Johnson vaccine doses were ruined by a U.S. factory mix-up. But we've gotten some more details. This does not affect Johnson & Johnson doses that are currently being delivered and used nationwide. That bears repeating. This does not affect Johnson & Johnson doses that are currently being delivered and used nationwide. So ultimately, this is a delay. This is a mix-up. As the New York Times characterizes it, quote, the mistake is a major embarrassment for Johnson & Johnson, whose one-dose vaccine has been credited with speeding up the national immunization program. But it does not affect Johnson & Johnson doses that are currently being delivered and used nationwide. All of those doses, the New York Times correctly points out, were produced in the Netherlands, where operations have been fully approved by federal regulators. Jeannie, they go on to report that all further shipments of the J&J vaccine projected to total tens of millions of doses in the next month were supposed to come uh, from the massive Baltimore plant. But again, this does not affect the Johnson & Johnson doses that are currently being delivered and used nationwide. I think that's a crucial point of context as folks continue to rightfully go and get their vaccines. So important to underscore, because that was my first question, is how does this affect, for instance, President Biden's uh, you know, promise of $200 million? And as you point out, they say it doesn't affect doses currently being delivered, but it has halted future shipments of the doses to the in the United States while the FDA investigates. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how this works its way out. Well, and I think if there's, we can now take a breath now as we've, as we've flown through this policy-based jam-packed hour, just with complete analysis from the team and whatnot, but uh, you got to be able to go macro for a second. I mean, the supply chain conversation, I think a lot of Americans, millions of Americans are learning about supply chains from their policymakers for really the first time and not dusting off their old economic textbooks. You know, they're learning about uh, the, the chemicals that are in the medical supplies. They're learning about the, the, the metals that are made in their uh, chips and their smartphones and their solar panels. And I thought it was very interesting as former Secretary Slater alluded to that President Biden delivered this address in a union plant, essentially, and in Pittsburgh, uh, because these are high tech jobs. But the components of these are going to be built by the middle class is the pitch that he made, Jeannie. Yes. And of course, Pittsburgh, where he announced his bid for the 
presidency. Um, He goes right back there. He considers it his home. Um, And of course, they're also trying to underscore the fact that Pittsburgh has done a very good job with this evolution from an industrial hub into more modern industries, which is exactly what he wants to do across the country, particularly in rural and urban areas. And that's where his focus is. So I think they did a good job in terms of bringing him to Pittsburgh to make this first pitch on this really massive bill. Anna Edgerton is back with us. Uh, she's Bloomberg Politics Editor. But let's play a little bit of the Republican response to this speech. We've got sounds on this from Senate Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky. Uh, and he says that the bill is unlikely to be that he will be unlikely able to support President Biden's new infrastructure proposal proposal. Here's the sounds on this from Leader McConnell. We've reached a critical point here, and I hope we're not beginning to engage in the habit of any time we want to do something, call it a national emergency and run up the national debt. It's like a Trojan horse. It's called infrastructure, but inside the Trojan horse is going to be more borrowed money and massive tax increases. And Edgerton, there you go. Yeah, we we were actually kind of joking uh, amongst ourselves. We were receiving, you know, all kinds of press releases from Republicans and Democrats that everything is infrastructure these days. You know, we have child care infrastructure and elder care infrastructure. So, you know, the minority leader does have a point in that infrastructure is a buzzword and it's the train leaving the station. So everyone is going to try to cast their priority as an element of infrastructure. But, you know, Republicans are kind of in a tough spot in that, they don't want to add to the deficit and they don't want they don't like the way the Biden administration is proposing to pay for it. So, you know, it's kind of incumbent upon them to come up with an alternative. And so far, they haven't really come up with any solutions to raise revenue to support the spending that both parties say the country needs. So, um, you know, let's take a listen to some more sound on what Uh, Biden had to say during his speech, because we've got also uh, the president of the United States saying that it's time to build our economy from the middle up. Again, talking in that populist tone. Here he is. It's time to build our economy from the bottom up and from the middle out, not the top down. That hadn't worked very well. For the economy overall, it hadn't worked. Because Wall Street didn't build this country. You, great middle class, built this country. And unions built the middle class. He went on to say that he was proposing a plan to reward work, not just wealth. Take a listen. So today, I'm proposing a plan for the nation that rewards work, not just rewards wealth. It builds a fair economy that gives everybody a chance to succeed and is going to create the strongest, most resilient, innovative economy in the world. President Biden says it's a once in a generation investment in America. Here's the sound on that. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once in a generation investment in America. Unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. So there you go, Jeannie. I mean, I, you hear some of the sound bites you hear in contrast with Leader McConnell. And it's uh, it's it's really, really fascinating to hear that.
It is, and it's historic. And, you know, it reminds me, I think it was Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste, is what we see the Biden administration doing at this point. And he was very clear at the beginning of his speech that the pandemic exacerbated existing inequalities in our system that needed to be addressed prior to the pandemic, but even more so in the midst and after the pandemic. And I think we should also add, because you and Anna were just talking about the debt, that Republicans are now talking about the debt. They weren't talking about it as much in 2017 when Trump's tax cut really soared the debt um, and the deficit. So, you know, there's sort of a, a sort of a, they found this issue of the deficit and the debt again, but it wasn't as much of a concern when they wanted to make those tremendous tax cuts, which they did. Anna? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And um, it, it's it's hard for Republicans to really find, you know, they're looking for a way to oppose this. And part of that is that these um, spending uh, proposals are, are largely popular with the, with the American public, and they're largely needed. I mean, these are things that members will go back to their districts and go back to their states and hear from constituents, like, we need, you know, federal funds to help, you know, shore up this bridge to expand rural broadband. So, you know, these are things that if these lawmakers, you know, see that this is going to happen anyway, they're going to want to make sure that their districts get some of the spending. I just want to carefully monitor a story from the New York Times that we are carefully monitoring a headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal. This is incredibly important. An official says that President Biden will still meet the 200 million dose target with Johnson and Johnson's setback. Another massive headline to cross the Bloomberg terminal that President Biden will still meet the 200 million dollar. I'm sorry, the 200 million dose target with Johnson and Johnson's setback, according to an official a headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal. President Biden, Jeannie, will still meet the 200 million dose target with Johnson and Johnson setback. Just this is just so incredibly important as as millions of Americans rightfully go out and get vaccinated uh, and and follow the their the guidelines that have been issued to them. And for this to happen, you know, incredibly important, as you say, because of course we, many people see that feel that we are reaching towards the end of this. That that we you know yeah. that pandemic is coming to an end, so to speak. But you know, it's going to be dependent on our ability to access those vac- those vaccines. So that's incredibly important that that hasn't been So impacted. more good news, more good news that, that President Biden is still going to meet the 200 million dose target with the Johnson & Johnson uh, setback. All right, my thanks to the whole team. Executive produced by Christine Barada, produced by Matthew Shirley, Marufel, Sarah Livesey on the boards. Uh, we've also got uh, Darden Pola. He's joined the team. He's been feeding us the headlines. Uh, Bob Bragg. Of course, Jeannie Shanzano, Anna Edgerton, the former la- transportation secretary, Rodney Slater, Tom Keen. Why not? Tom, are you listening? <laughs> I'm Kevin Cirilli. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.